Well, hello and welcome to the Smells Like Money podcast. Join me, Suzanne Chin-Taylor, the doo-doo diva, as I interview guests who are making an impact on how we manage and operate systems for conveying and treating wastewater. As a veteran of the wastewater, trenchless, and civil infrastructure industry, each week, I'll be bringing you industry know-how from industry pros who know how. Join me each week as I speak with representatives of organizations that are utilizing disruptive or new technologies and methods, and executives who are excited to share how to be successful and sustainable in our vital industry. So whether you want to learn about the latest trends in technology, in treatment or trenchless, gain tips on training and retaining great talent, or simply how to be more efficient, productive, or profitable, this podcast is for you. Ready? Let's dive right in. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of the Doo Doo Divas Smells Like Money podcast. We have the pleasure of continuing our visit today with Sean Merriman from Victory Trenchless of Owings, Maryland. And, you know, last time he was on the show, we talked about startups and accountability and business and just a whole just Oh, so many golden nuggets there about, you know, contracting business and making it successful and, you know, future of the industry and and getting people involved. And so, you know, people are, you know, one part of it. And today we're going to focus on the technology part of it and where we are headed. And so, you know, CIPP, it's not a new term. It's been around for a long time. Sean's had a lot of experience in it over his you know, tenure in the industry. And so I wanted to continue the conversation with him about why he has chosen the type of CIPP technology that he's using at Victory Trenchless and where he sees the market going and the opportunities, the applications for this technology, advancements, and kind of like where we're going. We're going to avoid getting too political here because we know there's been a lot of, I mean, kind of like sad reports in the news lately, you know, from, you know, people getting sick and styrenes. We're not going to go there, but um, we'll touch a little bit on that because it is it is worrisome. But that how is an industry we need to, you know, have that awareness of it. And what are some of the things that we can do to alleviate some of those concerns and maybe even some of those dangers to not just our crews and workers, but the community at large and where the, you know, the industry needs, needs to go as a whole to keep this viable. And so with that, I know that was a lot of loaded information, but Sean has got a lot of opinions on this and a lot of, you know, knowledge to share, but just kind of want to preface where we're going to go today with this episode. And with that, you know, Sean, the floor is yours. Man, that's a that's a lot to follow. That's that's tough. So appreciate you having me on again and uh, continuing the conversation. First off, so thank you for that. Um, yeah, I think there's a, a there's a lot to unravel, right? There there's a lot going on in the industry. There's a lot of there's a lot of conflicting information. I think is probably the right way to say it. Yes. The, the two sides seem to not find middle ground whatsoever in, in what's going on. And um, you know, first thing I would say is I came up in the thermal felt industry that's where my phone is it's where my history is it's where i came up in this industry um i i have no qualms whatsoever i think it's a, a great product it's very viable um so 
you know, my decision to go and do UV lining has nothing to do with there being issues with that product. I have no concerns. I think that both products have, you know, their own places in the market. And, and I think they're both very viable. And I think there's, you know, reasons and places and situations to use both. So um, there's definitely nothing there where, where I'm, I'm, I'm the person who's going to come on here and tell you that you shouldn't do steam or, or felt lining because of styrene or any other issues. Um, with that said, I mean, there, there is a, there is a, a moving trend or a movement in the market, however you want to say it, um, of more and more areas, regions, and it's usually localized or, or regionalized um, where markets are moving to UV based on styrene concerns or other concerns. Um, you know, we all know there's a very pungent odor with styrene and you can smell it at a very low concentration. Um, you know, I personally believe that quite honestly, you know, I, while, while I'm not going to get into whether there are or not health issues, I'm not the person to to dive into that, obviously. Um, the odor is is really what triggers the fear or or the problems because mm -hmm. it's it's so easy to be smelled. Even if it's at a concentration that if it is harmful, it could never harm you. The fact that you can smell it such a low concentration, it, it raises red flags, whether they're just or unjust, right? So that's that's part of it. So so there are a lot of municipalities and things that are that are moving towards the UV and and prefer that. And it's not just, you know, we we always we always wanna we always wanna play on the styrene thing. We wanna play UV, um, UV GRP, UV cured, and it's thermal and felt, right? It's really a styrene abatement issue. It's really about abating the styrene and the styrene odor, right? It's about keeping that odor. And if you keep the odor out, the odor in the VOC, you know, if you keep that out, um, you mitigate the problem. So so to me, it's about styrene mitigation. And the answer comes, you know, how or the question becomes, how do we mitigate the styrene in the product? And there's, there's several ways of doing it. Um, obviously, and, and some of them are further developed than others. Um, honestly, you know, UV cured in place right now is probably the most developed and most um, commercially available and, and, you know, most commercially used of, of the ways to mitigate the styrene. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of new, really, really cool uh, felt lining materials now that are coated with styrene barrier coatings that are super cool. So you can invert it like you always have. You can cure it like you always have. And the styrene can't permeate through the uh, what starts as the outer foil or outer barrier and then obviously inverts to the inner. So it can't permeate through that. You could pair that up with the styrene barrier preliner and effectively encapsulate the styrene very similar to a UV liner, which is very, very cool, right? So, so there's multiple ways of doing it. You can also use non-styrenated resins um, that, that use a different monomer than styrene in, in the resin, um, you know. That comes at a cost. They're not as commercially available. They're not as made in as much mass production, so they're much more expensive. Um, not always as as, as cons you know as consistent in curing. Not as you know comfortable in using them. Different curing schedules. So you know so there's trade offs. There's pluses and minuses. Because there's lots of different ways to do it. Um, but as an industry, I think we're coming to the realization that more and more of us are going to have to embrace this concern and figure out ways to, to work around it. And, you know, in, in our instance, you know, try to create a little bit of a niche market out of it and, and, and go and do that work, those clients and those places where, where that's important to them. 
Well, because I, I know in certain circumstances, especially if you're going to be doing, you know, DOT work or anything where, you know, storm drainage, they're very concerned because of having to do the bypass. They want to make sure that nothing's going to get into the watershed where, like you were saying, certain applications, it the UVGRP lends itself very well, where there's still a market for the the traditional the traditional resin. And, and you know, it is it is popular. So when you talk about, I'd like your take on it, and, and and I think you're you have enough experience because we didn't mention this, but you know you had said that you're a a graduate. I forget which university, and you said you were a chemistry and environmental science. So, but the fact that you know you've got a chemistry background, I think you know you're you're well versed enough to speak on this. You know you know enough about what's what's going on under the hood with some of these things from an environmental standpoint and what you've seen, where do you see the market going as far as the methodology, whether it be the traditional felt and steam or UV, because they're both using power, all right? If we're talking about having a more sustainable or lowering our carbon footprint, are they about equal or do you see the market heading one direction with cities being more concerned with, you know, embracing the sustainability of the initiatives what do you see happening there um you know i i haven't put a whole lot of thought into the energy side of it and the carbon footprint side of it to be quite honest um it's a big thing in europe um obviously in europe right. they're they're ahead of us in that initiative and there's a there's definitely some differences in in their sewer systems and how they're you right. know were developed being older um that that you know, I know like in a lot of our, you know, UV technology that, you know, the um, the equipment, the curing equipment stuff, a lot of it originated from Germany where they started doing UV curing first. There are some differences in how their systems were built over there versus ours that, you know, cause differences in how we'd like the equipment set up. You know, how much, you know, how much uh, cable reel we want on a cable to cure at a time because, you know, their segments are usually shorter than ours and stuff like that. And there's things they have to deal with, with uh, idle laws, like how long the vehicles are allowed to idle on site, whether they can use the vehicle to power some equipment. So there's, there's a lot of that stuff that, that you know, quite honestly, we're behind them on that will probably follow up in time and we'll have to figure out in time. But, you know, on the material side, you know, I think we're going to see a growing trend that we're going to see whether it be UV you know, GRP or whether it just be generalized styrene abatement or styrene containment type regulations within our um within our within our products, I think you're gonna see that continue to grow, quite honestly, because you know the information's out there, right, wrong or indifferent, it's out there. Um, studies are out there from both sides. Again, right, wrong or indifferent, they're out there. Unfortunately, people can Google it. Um, and, and find it. Um, not unfortunately. I mean, we're we're all you know open to the right inf information. Um, I wish we could come to a consensus of what's the truthful information because it's like I said, it's very reverse on both sides. Um, so I, I think that you're going to see more and more municipalities, and even if it doesn't have to do with whether it's harmful or not, just because the odor raises red flags and has people up in arms, you're going to see more municipalities um, due to politics and political areas, areas that are more urban areas that are more um, developed, you know, areas of, um, you know, I hate to say it, but there's, you know, there's geopolitical kind of, uh, you know, undercurrents in in this stuff. When you look at the areas and where it's a bigger CERN and issue versus where it isn't, 
Um, unfortunately, that's the world we live in, and that's but you know the way where it goes. And I think we're going to see more places going towards wanting the styrene abatement links, and whether that's UV, GRP, CIPP, or whether that's using some of the new emerging technologies. And I'm sure that, and I, I know for a fact, there's you know the manufacturers are out there developing new ways to abate styrene or to eliminate styrene in those owners. And I think you're going to see it continue to grow. And, you know, obviously with starting a company in the time that we did, we decided to to go on the niche side and, and try to fill a void on the UV side and and, and go that way and, and try to help assist and be a, um, you know, a, a contracting partner, so to speak, to right. maybe some of the other CIPP firms who, have clients who want to do the IPP and want to abate the styrene and then they're not there yet or, or unwilling to make that investment yet. So, you know, we're, we're trying to fill that niche and go, you know, be help to them versus out there directly bidding against them in the, in the felt team markets. Well, when you're looking at just, you know, CIPP or this methodology of trenchless in general, um, where do you see, you know, app, you know, traditionally laterals, obviously, you know, main lines. Um, there's a lot of interesting stuff going on with laterals right now for INI with taking temporary eminent domains so that things can yeah, be done, yeah. to, which is, I, I think is fascinating. Um, but where do you see the market going for more applications where this can be utilized, more instances for helping aging infrastructure? Um, you know, not necessarily cured in place specific, but you know, there's a there's a ton going on right now with, with obviously lead lead service pipe abatement in the water industry. Ooh, obviously, okay. um, you know, you know, you know, to not have to dig it up and replace it, right? If you could find a way to coat it, you know, much much like the styrene, when once you cure the liner, the styrene's locked in the laminate and you've kept it home. If you can coat a lead pipe, it completely seal it off. You keep the lead on the outside of the water. So I mean, there, you know. There's a lot of thought there and, and a lot of people working really, really hard on trying to, you know, to find the, the golden ticket to, to rehabilitate those, which I think is immensely important. Um, water lining, even water mainline lining in general is still a pretty wide open market. There's some technologies out there that I think are really, really cool. Um, there's some engineering design and concerns on the water mainlining side that I think need to be understood and people need to be a little more flexible on that would make lining of those pipes much more feasible um but you know that's that's for people who, who who make those decisions to make what what they're willing to accept and not but there's some really cool technologies out there that i think serves really good purposes on the water side that are still emerging so to speak uh you know laterals i think as far as on the lining side i i, I think the technology is really good i think it's really good the stuff that's out there is 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 uh is good from on the i'm sorry on the sanitary side on the sanitary on the, sewer lateral side is really good. Um, but I, I think that you're going to see the chemicals and what, you know, the resin and the styrene and those type things continuing to be more scrutinized. And I think you're going to see, I mean, I think it's going to continue unless there is some really definitive science and data that comes out there that completely um, exonerate styrene of being harmful in any way what's you know that that is indisputable and that will completely trump anything that that you know that that can be you know, already out there so unless that happens i think you're going to continue to see that scrutiny 
and people and clients are going to continue trending slowly. These things don't happen overnight, right? It doesn't, you know, it, it, it's not going to flip flip in, in two years or five years or 10 years. And over time, I think you'll see more of the styrene abatement in specifications in, you know, in, in developed and rural or developed in more urban areas, especially. Right, right. Well, now, do you also see, you know, I keep seeing, you know, liners getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Yeah. You know, it used to be, oh, the 8, 12, you know, 24 ceremonies. And now they're getting really trying to expand into that, that drainage market. Um, I just wanted to get your take on that. Do you see that the manufacturers or technology is really going to focus more on that to be able to do these larger diameter lines for that to become another method for trenchless repair for DOT applications? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And I think there's, um, there's technologies out there that I think are really good, right? And, um, we're a cured in place pipe installer. We're more specifically a UV GRP CIPP installer. And I would say that CIPP is not the right answer for a lot of those pipes. Uh, personally, personal opinion. Other people will disagree with me. They'd like to go do them. I think there's better technologies out there to do a lot of those really large pipes, say 72s, 84s, 96s. You know, UV obviously has a cap well below that. And personally, you know, I, my comfort level is probably even a little bit smaller than what the manufacturers would like to say, you know, so, so there's definitely limitations, but you know, there's, there's, you know, the world changes when you, when a pipe gets big enough that you can man enter it. And when you start talking about a storm pipe that is open-ended on both ends and the confined space aspect and the, you know, the ability to get safe oxygen and air flows through them, you know, and how you can work in those pipes, it changes dramatically what you can do. You can start doing spray in technologies. You can start doing, and applied spiral wound uh, technologies and grouting behind. There's, you know, so many things you can do. So, you know, I, I think that, I think the technologies are actually really good, honestly. I think the technologies are there to do it. I think that the municipalities and the clients probably in the DOT is just really ramping up understanding what they need to rehab and when. And, and I think you're going to see more of that work continue happening. Um, but I think the technologies are okay to go do them. Um, it's more of the work that's going to start hitting hitting the market, I think. Right. Um, now, I just I just recall, and I don't know if you've run into this, is that, you know, when you were doing lateral reinstatement with UVGRP, I know that sometimes the, the you know, the cutters that have been on the market just... Oh my gosh, it would it would burn it would burn them out. And so mm -hmm. a lot of people have been afraid to go that route for fear that, oh, these cutters that I have, you know, I've been doing this for a long time, it's going to die on me after one or two cuts in. And so where have you seen, you know, in the support technology coming up to speed to help with that? And is yeah. that concern anymore um, like it used to be, or has that kind of been resolved? two-part answer if you're in the mid-atlantic it'll burn your cutters up you don't want to do this technology um just kidding okay. um uh, uh, okay okay you you went down no that competition way. what do you what do you mean by that <laughs> well because then you'd be competing with us and i'd rather that not that not be the case so it's oh, okay, okay. <laughs> yeah. no um no yeah i mean so you do have to be selective in, in, in how you are reinstating taps and how you're doing it it is it is much different in uvg rpp obviously you know our uvg or pcipp man um you know, it is different. So 
there are precautions you need to take. Um, the cutter strengths, you need to know what you're buying and understanding and what you're cutting. You know, there are cutters out there that are more than capable of cutting it at this point. They've, you know, they've been doing it long enough in Germany and Europe and other places that they develop the cutting technology to be able to do it. You know, some, some, some different bits, some different heads, some cutter heads. And, and obviously the robots are, are much more powerful um, now to, to do that. Um, you know, and, and, and the felt guys, quite honestly, are, are using a lot of the same robots now because it's it's faster, stronger, and, and they like them too. Um, so, so that's not as much of a concern. You know, the, the bigger concern with, with UV, um, you know, with GRP liners, you know, whether you, you know, you can cure it either way, but whether, you know, however, but, you know, with the GRP liner, the bigger concern typically has been finding the laterals, you know, felt lining, felt, you know, expands much more than glass. Um, so you can get a big dimple to be able to see where you're cutting the lateral. It's a much easier process, much faster to go cut the laterals because you can see them. So that's been a lot of people's hesitancy. There's a lot of municipalities of clients who have been, you know, sold on the idea, so to speak, that, you know, UV CIVP installers are going to miss most of the laterals and they're not going to be able to find them and they're going to cut holes off the liner and have to fix them and this, that, and the other. And, you know, maybe that was true at some point in time. Um, but it's certainly not true today. We've got um, ways to hit those laterals. Um, there are some UV material or some GRP materials, I should say, out there now that are constructed a little bit differently that actually we're creating and seeing dimples and how we install. So it's much closer to, to what the felt guys are used to on the uh, on the lateral, you know, the reinstatement uh, cutting. So, you know, there's a lot going on in that market. That's it's always kind of been the, you know, the, the holy grail, so to speak, for, for a UV liner is to be able to create dimples in small diameter. And it's it's there. We're seeing it. Uh, we're, we're using a material on small diameter pipe right now that we really like a lot and are very comfortable with. Um, we, 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 we get dimples and we can go down and find and cut laterals out um, much like a felt liner. Wow. Wow. So, you know, in just wrapping up, where do you see the the future of the market? You know, obviously you started this company. I mean, it's, yeah. I guess, because of the age of it, you would consider it still being a, you know, quote unquote, startup. And so you obviously being the smart guy that I know that you are, wouldn't have started this unless you saw there was going to be, you know, long-term viability or money to be made. Where do you see the market going and where do you see you know the acceptance of just CIPP either either way that you're going to do it you know we talked about these two different technologies you know expanding yeah um you know I I think that based on the fact that I think people are to continue to to, to push the styrene initiative and push the the concerns about styrene like I said founded or not founded um, I, I think there's going to be a continued push to styrene abated materials. And you know, right now, I think that, you know, UV GRP is the, is the most uh, sound technology out there in that arena. And so for us, it was about, you know, going that route and, and thinking that that's going to continue to grow. I mean, if I had to pick a number right now, sorry, my dog's in the background. I apologize. That's I think okay. right now, um, uh, you know, if I had to pick a number, I'd say I'd, UV is probably maybe 15% of the market share. Mm. Um, I mean, I'm just picking a number out of thin air, just a wild guess. 
And I think that's going to continue to grow. I mean, 15% is a small number. Um, when you look in Europe, it's probably more like 80%. Um, wow. I don't know that I'm, I'm not going to sit here and predict that UV is ever going to take over 80% of its market share because we have such an establishment already of, of, of felt, you know, felt thermal cure CIPP. But I do think it's going to continue to grab market share. And I think that puts us in a better position to grow and, 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 you know, continue to try to grab market share as that market share comes. Um, you know, so I, I think that there is an opportunity there. Like I said, and again, you know, for us, it was about finding a way to differentiate ourselves, right? We didn't want to come to the market head on with those well-established felt mining companies that we've talked about, you know, as competition, right? We, we'd rather work with them than against them as much as we can, give them an opportunity to, to use us um, on their styrene abated or felt, you know, clients or, or jobs versus having to walk away from those or having to, you know, decide if they're ready to take the plunge and, and, and go into a new technology and make crews learn new things and put the financial investment out there. You know, maybe it's easier to just contract us to go do that type of work for them. So, you know, there was, there was some thought, well, not some, a lot of thought put into that and trying to do things. And, you know, again, my background and, and the way I look at things, I want to be on the forefront of the technology and what we're doing versus what's always been done. So, you know, I want to start here at, at, at UVGRP and, and, you know, if, if things progress and, you know, and infrared curing becomes, you know, a little more viable in GRP liners, then maybe we look at that to get the faster curing or, you know, whatever's next, right? Um, if, if the spray-in technologies really catch on and, and those epoxies and different things, you know, maybe maybe we think of that next, right? I, I want to I wanna go to where we're going, not where we've been. That's where the mindset's been. Um, oh, I so like again, that. Love those technologies. I, I grew up in them and, and I have nothing against them, but you know, we want to start here and kind of go forward. I like that. Well, one thing I wanted to ask is that, you know, with your experience with both types, are there certain applications that you see that it's going to be an easier time of it for you to do the rehabilitation utilizing UV versus CIPP? Are there like certain instances where contractors or folks really need to take a closer look at this. Absolutely. And the same can be said on the, the on, on the flip side. Right. I mean, there's absolutely there's, and that's why I said, I think both products are very viable. They're both products that are in the, the toolbox of the clients. Right. Um, but yeah, there's definitely, there's definitely a situation scenarios where I think it's a better fit to, to do, you know, UV curing um, versus, versus steam. And, and 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 vice versa. I mean, you know, we can get to some projects and we can use, um, you know, mobile, you know, we can make small, you know, small mobile curing units that you can roll to sites and get into easements or get around a building, say if a manhole's around a building. Um, there's things, that, you know, really one of the big differentiators comes in and the ability to pull a liner in versus having to have a tower and invert it um, with steam or hot water. So that makes it easier to do some things. One of the big things in the technology that that I fell in love with as well, and, and I should have said this while ago with, you know, one of the reasons we went with it, you know, risk factor. Um, I look at UV lining as being much, much less risky um, from my experience than felt lining or, or from inverted thermal cure lining. Quite simply, because you pull the liner in, you inflate it, you run a camera down it, you see what the pipe's going to look like cured before it's cured. And as you're curing it back, you're seeing hard pipe as you come you know immediately if there's an issue, if you were to, you know, and it, it doesn't happen often, right? But the fact that it could happen, 
is, you know, you invert a, you invert a liner and the liner is broke up and cracked. You think you're going to be fine. And that pipe breaks and collapses, but you still invert through it. If you're inverting that liner, you don't know that you have a collapsed liner that's now got to be cut out or the whole line's going to have to be redug or whatever until it's all said and done. Right. Hmm. Um, with the UV liner, that's not very likely to happen because you're going to see it before you ever cure it. Or you'll see it as you're curing it from the camera, as you pull through and you're going to stop, you know, if, it gives you it gives you some some uh, level of flexibility and comfort there, right? I mean, as a startup company, the biggest fear is that scenario where you've got to right. dig up, you know, a whole entire line that buries a startup. You're done before you ever got off the ground, right? So you mitigate that by doing what we're doing with UV as much as you can. You know, you know, we we get calls to to line a line where someone built a building over it. You know, it's a one segment. It's under a building. You're like, man, that's a ton of risk, right? How could you ever price a line on a felt side and be comfortable enough to line it where it ends and terminates in the basement of a hospital, right? There's not enough money because if that line goes wrong and you're not going to know it goes wrong until it's too late, it's a million dollar mistake. So you can mitigate risks like that with a UV liner, right? So that those are examples where there's a lot of reason and sense to, to go to a UV over a felt, you know, and on the flip side, if you've got a, 600 foot shot of, uh, of, of 84 inch, you know, you set up an onsite wet out and go felt all day long, um, you know, or, or things like that, or, or you've got a, a 1200 foot shot of eight inch through an easement that you cannot, there's no way possible to go set another manhole in, you know, you can invert a long liner and, and cure it. So there's, there's definitely, it goes, like I say, it goes both ways when it comes right. down to the, the very, very niche specific reasons to use one of the liner types over the other. Hmm. Well, Sean, thank you for your insights on this. It's exciting times to be part of the industry and to see where it's going to go. I mean, it has no place to go but up, right? You know, and, and just to- I'm banking on it. I hope so. I hope you're right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if, if we think about 20 years ago where Trenchless was, I don't think many of us ever envisioned that it would be where it is right now yeah. and be you know in a way a silver bullet for curing our aging infrastructure and so it's just it's exciting to watch it unfold and that we're not willing to sit and just rest on our laurels always looking for better ways better ways to do this and, and save our communities and save our infrastructure. And so for anybody who would like to connect with Sean, you can find him on LinkedIn and as well as his company's website, victorytrenchless.com. And I just have to make the comment because I, I, you know, I've said this to you before. I absolutely love your logo and just thank you. How did you come up with the name victory trenchless? Oh. What, what is behind that? Because I think that's just kind of interesting. Oh, okay. There you go. <laughs> oh, yeah. So when I was coming up with the name, you know, um, I'm a Virginia. I grew up in Virginia. I went to Virginia Tech. So, you know, it, and I think I told you in our, in our in our previous session, I've been brainstorming my own company for six, eight, ten years. I mean, Virginia Trenchless for Virginia Tech. Uh, and then obviously now that we're in Maryland and moved out here and we started the business in Maryland, I had to come up with something else with a V. So okay. uh, we, we came up with Victory for Victory Trenchless. And obviously it's a it's a stylized logo that has a VT, but is not not infringing on the uh, on the copyright of the Virginia Tech Hokies. But uh, but yeah, no, it's uh, it's very shamelessly Victory Trenchless for VT because I'm a pride and true through and through uh, Virginia Tech Hokie. 
All right. All right. Well, thank you for sharing that little inside story. And thank you for joining us in this week's episode. And until next time, keep it flowing. Thanks so much for joining me, the Doo Diva, on this week's episode of Smells Like Money. What stood out to you this week? Share your takeaways by leaving me a review. You can find out more about the new technologies, creating sustainable solutions and insights on how to succeed in our vital industry by subscribing to the show. Whether you wanna learn about the latest trends in wastewater infrastructure, treatment or trenchless, you've got it all right here at Smells Like Money. If you're an industry expert and would like to be considered as a guest for the show, book a quick chat with me by visiting calendly.com forward slash the Tuit group forward slash B dash A dash podcast dash guest, or simply click the link in the show notes below. Until next week, a big shout out to all my industry friends and those who will be. You are my superheroes. Thanks for tuning in, keeping it flowing, and we'll see you all next week.